So uh, yeah, might be a different experience even for our community to not have uh, a, a singing worship time. Uh, worship is all of life, um, but we have an expression of worship where we sing, um, and so we're going to be worshiping God through prayer uh, later on. But uh, but it is something that um, you know because we love we love to sing together as a community. It's a, it's a, it's an awesome thing to do. Um, but uh, we're wanting to also give space for, for other elements. But you'll notice that we're going to be, we've kind of transitioned to roughly a kind of monthly rotation of different intentional focuses on a Sunday. Uh, so you'll find one Sunday we'll have uh, like a, a full band of people, um, again, which is an element of having a small kind of team, of a small worship team. Um, and that is really giving priority just to worshiping together on that Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're going to have some Sundays where we will um, have more of a contemplative time. So we'll have a teaching time, but we'll also have a contemplative worship or prayer. Uh, you remember a few weeks ago, Andrew and Rachel led us through um, a, a scripture, a psalm, and then we, we pray that, meditated on it, and, and different expressions. Uh, we'll have some Sundays where it's just more like an acoustic uh, worship time, which is pretty much what we've done for, for many, many years with a small team. Um, and again, that's probably more similar to what you would get in one of our prayer sets that have worship in it. Uh, and then we'll also have what we're going to do on this Sunday, which is we're going to pray strategically into a particular area. So it's called Focus Prayer. Uh, and for this next little season, we're going to be going through uh, what's called the Seven Mountains of Influence. And I'm going to teach on that first. Um, so we won't always have the teaching time first, but we just felt like this was important to give an explanation of the intentionality of what we're doing. The reason for that rotation, uh, a big part of it is uh, what we do on a Sunday, uh, our um, philosophy of, of what a Sunday is for is really to equip you to live your everyday with Jesus, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus, to love him, to love people, and to be out on mission bringing his kingdom into the world. So uh, my role, our role as a, as a leadership is to equip you to do the works of ministry that God has called you to do because you are out there in the world uh, with a sphere of influence that God wants you to impact for his glory and for people's benefit. Um, and so that's what we want to do. We're not trying to um, get everyone to come here. We want everyone to go out from here into every place that you are already um, to, to bring the good news of Jesus and his kingdom to the world. Um, so again, um, it's a, it's it, at different times through history, the church has functioned in different ways. Uh, usually, um, I think God is strategic in how we relate to uh, the culture of our time. Uh, and there was a time in the early church when that was all that they did. There was no real, they couldn't gather together like this on a Sunday. Um, the church was persecuted in a lot of areas. And so the threat of, of death was really you know, what, uh, you know, what people would be meeting, being aware of. And so uh, it was a, a missional movement or what we call an apostolic movement. If you hear the word mission, that is the word apostolos, which is where we get the word apostle, means sent ones. So missionaries are sent ones. Who's a missionary? We all are, amen. Um, we are all sent by God into the world to bring the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And so at different times through history, uh, that's kind of altered and changed, but, uh, but I believe that we are in a time where God is reinvigorating uh, the missional movement of his people. Uh, there was a time where the church, the Western kind of culture was, uh, would predominantly recognize itself as being religious and Christian in some form or another. 
Um, and, uh, but we've, we've lost that over the last um, few centuries. Uh, the role of the church being kind of the center power piece of culture um, is gone. So we find ourselves where, and I'm sure you would realize uh, now, where, where the church doesn't have a, a dominant voice in culture. Uh, it's very much, you know, being uh, subsumed by other perspectives. Uh, and the importance is that we understand, well, what is God's strategy to continue to influence and impact the world through his church, the bride? If we continue in an old strategy, in a new season with a different culture, then we're not gonna have the impact that God desires, and so. So part of what we're doing, I added, went into a whole big realm of things. So the reason what we're doing on a Sunday is we're wanting to equip you in how to live as disciples of Jesus. So when we do the contemplative times, it's really something to say, here's a format and a framework for how you can meditate on the scripture and, and encounter God through the word of God and, uh, and have experience and encounter with him, then you can take that away into your everyday life. You know, so it's, we're just trying to be intentional about what we do. Um, what we're gonna be praying into today, this, this whole seven mountains of influence thing and, and corporately praying into this is to help and to give us all understanding, oh wow, I actually have a role wherever I find myself, in the neighborhood that I live in, in the family connections that I have, in my workplace or my place of study, the places where I, maybe a sports team that I'm part of, the reason I'm there is God has strategically positioned you to be a kingdom outpost for his kingdom to come, for people to meet Jesus and all of that sort of stuff. So to recognize, wow, I'm, I've been called on by God to bring his kingdom into every sphere that I have influence in. This idea of the seven mountains of influence, you're not gonna find it kind of mapped out uh, in the Bible. Uh, there are references, in, uh, particularly in Revelation, where it talks about these seven serpents and uh, that are seven mountains and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but it is a, a strategy for bringing the kingdom that has come from a, a couple of guys in particular, uh, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham. So Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ in the US, and Lauren Cunningham is the founder of Youth with a Mission, so YWAM, if you know those two organizations. But in 1975, uh, they both kind of developed this strategy for reaching their nation in the US and uh, many nations uh, through the influence in these different areas. Now, I want you to know this isn't the only thing that the church is about. This, is the, not the, this isn't the only way to do it, but it is a, I think, a God-given strategy that we can utilize. And I want you to know that um, the demonic realm, those that are in opposition to Christ, are absolutely strategic in what they're doing. Uh, those who oppose God in this nation and, and many nations are absolutely strategic in what they do. So whether they are aware of it or, or not, but being influenced by the kingdom of darkness, there's absolute strategy, and it's, it's underground and hidden in some ways, and it's exposed in other ways, but there is a strategy for the advancement of the kingdom of darkness. So you better believe that we, as God's people, need a strategy for the advancement of the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of love, and the kingdom of Jesus in the world. So the mandate that they uh, came up with was to bring godly change to a nation by reaching its seven spheres or mountains of societal influence, okay? The seven mountains that they speak of are religion, 
family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. So these are seven um, significant kind of spheres in our culture that the majority of cultures would have. Every culture has some sort of religious framework. And so we're talking about Eastern culture, Western culture, um, you know, dominated by whatever religion, it doesn't matter. Um, they all have some sort of media uh, perspective. And again, we're talking, there's social media, but media has been a part, you know, around for a long time. Uh, all various forms of kind of propaganda and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, the, the realm of family, uh, the realm of business, the realm of government, the realm of education, and arts and entertainment. So these are seven significant kind of spheres that operate, and they uh, essentially impact the way that a culture lives. So through, through religion, through the media, through family dynamics, through the government, business, education, arts, and entertainment, these areas really help to influence and shape how we think, how we behave, and how we live. Amen? It's the main concept. All right. So I'm going to go, this is a write-up that I found online. It was written from an American perspective, so I've tried to uh, de-Americanize it. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was you know, language specific to, uh, to their um, place. But I think in some ways we have similarities in terms of just being a Western culture. So when it speaks of religion, every society has some type of belief in a superior being or beings. In the East, religions tend to be polytheistic, so they have many gods, um, or they're outright idolatrous, so like Hinduism and Buddhism. Although these religions are thousands of years old, they nonetheless continue to thrive today. In the West, Christianity and Catholicism are predominant, but postmodern views are increasingly being accepted and the concept of God is being rejected. So in the last, particularly in the last couple of centuries, even the idea of there being any God, let alone multiple gods or one God, um, so the, the rise of atheism um, is, uh, is really determining that people would say, well, there is no God. The Christian church is described in the Greek language as the ecclesia, or the ecclesia. So literally translated, the word ecclesia means governing body. So although we don't condone theocracies, this translation suggests that the church should have great influence in all other spheres that make up a society. With a plethora of categorized religions around the world, it's the church's responsibility to reach the lost with the love and gospel of Jesus Christ and to expand the kingdom in ministerial efforts both nationally and internationally. So we understand one significant mountain is the mountain of religion. This is what shapes people's spiritual beliefs and whether it's, it's having belief or even having no belief, there's still a, a, uh, an understanding that this sphere will impact and influence people's lives. And so we have a role as the church of God to be impacting the sphere of religion. So again, we don't just say, well, I'm, I'm of this religion and you're of that religion, and, and as long as we kind of you know, do our own thing, everything's okay. But I think that Jesus would be saying, no, you, you should be out and infiltrating it sounds kind of sneaky, but I guess it is, but you know, really ministering to people from other faith backgrounds and other faith traditions. It's good for you to know something about world religions and how they operate. Um, to, to, if you only know about Christianity or monotheistic, so one God religions, um, and you don't know anything about any other religion, um, I'm not sure that you're as well equipped to 
impact people's lives as what you would be if you had some understanding of how other religions work. I'm not saying you have to go to you know, an Islamic college and you know, to get to that degree of things, but what you do find is that even in other religions, there is sometimes uh, the mention of Jesus in that. So in Islam, Islam speaks about Jesus. Okay, obviously um, there is the, the messianic understanding from, from Judaism and monotheistic religions. Um, but in the time, all throughout the Bible, you've got to understand that when God came and spoke and he drew out the people of Israel, he was drawing them out from a, a polytheistic culture. So they believed, so Greek gods and different things like that, but they all believed in different gods that existed around the world. And they would worship all of these different gods you know, in order to, you know, they would worship the God of fertility because they were an agricultural people. So they'd want to worship this God because if we sacrifice to the God of, of fertility in the soil, then we'll get good crops this yield. So that's where they understood. But that's where God entered in and revealed himself as the one true God was in the midst of a culture that worshiped a whole lot of other gods. And he said, well, there's not a, so the God's people knew, well, there's not a God of fertility and a God of this and a God of that, a God of the sun and a God of rain. There is one God who is over all things, and that's the God that they were called out to worship. And that was the role. God drew a people out, not to be this exclusive religious group over here that God, or God likes these people and he doesn't really care about the rest of them. He drew them out in order to reveal himself to them so that they could go and reveal God to the world that the nations would be blessed through the one nation of Israel. That's the whole intentionality of it. So again, for us as followers of Jesus who have been invited and adopted into the kingdom of God, our role is to go and take the good news of that kingdom. Not the bad news of someone else's religion, but the good news of God's kingdom. Okay, it's coming from the positive place because we're like, we've discovered Jesus and we've fallen in love with Jesus and we've discovered God's kingdom. We want the world to know that because we love people and we want them to know Jesus. Amen? All right. Then we have the realm or the mountain of influence of family. In any functional society, the family is the building block of the community. Throughout the Bible, you will find familial examples that betray how we ought to live our lives today. God desires that men, women, and children within a family be united as one in his love. And after all, he is the ultimate father. So we see in society today where there is a, um, a stripping away of the family unit. Um, so even today where you'll have um, different uh, forms of, uh, of marriage, uh, you'll have, um, you know, a lot more, um, you know, uh, single parent kind of families where whether it's either the mother or the father not being responsible for what they've brought into being. Um, there are a lot of things that um, religious frameworks help to keep things in alignment. So again, um, not having sex outside of the covenant of marriage is designed to protect, in some ways, the family dynamic, because then you're only bringing children into being within the sphere of covenant of marriage, 
okay? God's desire for no divorce is because then you keep that family dynamic together because that is where children are raised in those right healthy households. They get the reflection of the father through mothers and fathers and it's the continuation. There are so many dynamics that come into this and I know we can approach it from, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that so we should do this and we shouldn't do that and it can become quite a, a kind of surface level argument but when we look at what are the implications for some of these things, and we see then generationally what happens. Now, in many, many countries, you'll see where there is um, maybe a, a rise in crime, particularly amongst young men, it's oftentimes the result of fatherlessness. You know, I look at, uh, you know, different kind of forms of gangs in our culture, and oftentimes you'll, you'll see, you know, so they've obviously done studies on it, but you'll understand that men who grow up without fathers in their lives, then when they get to an age, they're longing for that fatherly connection and they find it in those sorts of places. This kind of brotherhood, uh, you know, fathering connection, people who protect me and they'll provide for me and they'll have my back, but there's a deep longing and a yearning for what a father is supposed to provide. Now again, this is not to... to put down on anybody or anything like that, but to understand God's intentionality in what is brought about when families are, um, you know, encouraged and equipped to be a godly influence, that it starts to shape society through that realm, okay? So that's why it's important. That's why, again, no, I'm not gonna get into, uh, into all that sort of stuff, but we understand th some things that we, you know, even are, are being challenged on, um, at a political level are related to some of these areas. Things like abortion, you know, where, where all of a sudden it's, it's just kind of taken as, well, you know, this, you know, I've, again, I've lived my life in what I consider freedom and I've found myself pregnant and now I'm in a place where this pregnancy is impacting my freedom and it's all about, you know, me, you know, a person doing what they want to do and so then there's choices and decisions and, and all this sort of stuff, all of this irresponsibility that exists where children are a gift, and yet sometimes they can be seen as an inconvenience that challenges that. But so much has been eroded in this, in our culture, um, because we've lost the influence of godly family dynamics, and we haven't prioritized that. So we need to understand that God has a desire to radically impact the sphere of family, okay? Which is why for us, as followers of Jesus, we get to be a demonstration of kingdom family, we get to do that amongst us as a body of people. That's why we highlight family, what it looks like. Because some of us, maybe all of us, grew up in different family dynamics. And oftentimes, and I know my children will, I'm sure, have to have prayer ministry for things that I did do or don't do and all of that sort of stuff. Because, you know, I know I read the manual on parenting, but I'm sure I've skipped a chapter or two. Um, that's a joke, there's no manual, <laughs> don't go looking for it. Um, but you know, like you're, just, you're doing the best and you're living life and you're on your own journey with God, being healed and restored and so, uh, you know, up until you're, I'm perfect, I'm gonna be making mistakes and, and not doing all of those things. Um, but there's this uh, expectation that we are growing better as parents and as people so that we can impact our children with the heart of God and the culture of heaven so that they grow up in, in an environment where they are nurtured and encouraged and they know God and then they get to carry that on in their own families and it goes from generation to generation. But for some of us, we've never known that. So to be part of a Christian community 
that demonstrates family, that demonstrates brother and sisterhood, that demonstrates parenting in the spiritual form, but it also reflects in the natural. That even where people maybe have grown up in a family environment which wasn't healthy, maybe was very, very unhealthy, that they can find healing and wholeness in Christian community, and they can actually have the support as to how to raise the next generation of people. Education. This is the one that we're going to be focusing on and praying into today. So at one time, the education system unapologetically incorporated the Bible and prayer to the God of the Bible and biblical values in every aspect of school life. Now again, it's important to look at, so if you look at there's not one there specifically on um, like hospitals and you know the medical field, it's all part of it. Uh, but there are a lot of things that we don't understand were actually instituted by the church. Um, because there was uh, seen a, a need in, in culture and in community, and so the church formed together and had you know, created a lot of institutions that we now are just kind of normal to do that. They also, the church also created Guinness. So um, they eat Guinness beer, so who would have thought? It's not advocating drinking, getting drunk or anything like that, but that was a reflection apparently uh, in Ireland and, uh, and a lot of the... Um, the workers um, were becoming really, really unhealthy because they worked a lot, didn't eat well, and drank a lot of whiskey. And so um, it was actually a, you know, a church, I don't know if it was like a monk or something, that created this beer that had all of this incredible nutrients in it. And, uh, and so that they were, you know, feats that fill up on, on Guinness and uh, be getting nutrients and stuff at the same time. So it's, it's one strategy, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, anyway. So again, in our education systems, now we've got the blessing of, of Christian schools, and that's wonderful and amazing. Now again, a Christian school is one that is founded upon Christian ethics, um, depending on the school, would have um, either all Christian teachers or some Christian teachers. Um, but again, a lot of times, m most of the time, there are a number of students in that school who aren't Christians, they don't come from a Christian family, but the value of education, the parents might see, the, so the parents might not be Christians, the kids might not be Christians. So it's an incredible missional opportunity, but it's not just, again, that we would be praying for Christian schools, that we'd be praying and releasing and encouraging and equipping every single believer who finds themselves working in a, in a school, whether a public school or a private school, it's irrelevant. You have an opportunity to impact that place with the culture of heaven. Okay. Wherever you are, whatever realm, and this goes to all of them, you have a role, a God-given role, to impact that place for God's glory. So education is incredibly important. I mean, this is shaping and laying foundations for children that they'll grow in. I, I, you know, it's really, that does shape a lot of who you are as a people. And again, it's not just what you learn academically, it's what you learn culturally in the environment of the school. You know, children are, um, there, there's different parts to a child's development. You know, one of them is the academic kind of aspect in terms of what they learn, but it's also what they learn through relationships uh, and the culture and the environment they grow up in. So incredibly important sphere. Next is uh, government. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is, is a reproach to many people. Many times, as exemplified in the Old Testament, a nation's moral standards are dependent on those exhibited by its leaders or the predominant political party. While each individual is responsible for his or her own sins, 
The fact remains that people are greatly influenced by those moral, or the lack thereof, that popular leaders adopt. This goes on, the progressive liberal agenda empowered by well-known men and women in the arts and entertainment industries have made significant gains in the political arena over the past few decades. In fact, many liberal groups seek to remove anything related to God or Christianity from the governmental and educational systems because of a misimplied interpretation of the phrase, the separation of church and state. So the goal in this mountain is to put in place righteous leaders that will positively impact all aspects of government. So I'm not sure if you're aware, the whole, this is again in America, but the whole idea of separation of church and state, which we have adopted in Australia, the purpose of that was to separate the influence of the state upon the church. And yet it's become something where they're trying to separate the influence of the church upon the state. But it was put in there as a safeguard to actually protect the church from being influenced by the state. Okay? And now it's all kind of flicked around. But there should be a role where the church has an impact on the political sphere. But again, and what I'll teach on a little bit later, is that um, our approach to that is very, very important. Our approach to having influence is incredibly important because I think we've tried to influence things in the wrong way from the wrong kind of cultural perspective, and so that's why we don't have the influence that we desire to have. The next is the media mountain, so that's news sources such as radio, TV, newspapers, uh, the internet, blog sites, all of this sort of stuff. The media has the potential to sway popular opinion on current issues based upon its reporting, which is not always truthful and arrogant. Sorry, accurate. <laughs> it is <clears throat> Freudian slip. It's not always arrogant. Um, so again, this is uh, where we get, and I don't know if you follow much of what's happening in America and, and the politics and all that sort of stuff there. Um, it's kind of flooding you know, your social media news feeds. Um, but there are things where people, it's, it's hard to know like what is actually truth in this and how much the, even where we're seeing these mountains kind of molding together. So you've got you know, religion and the media and government and arts and entertainment and business all kind of impacting and people aren't, you know, uh, tech companies aren't sharing certain information, they're highlighting other information, all of this sort of stuff. So we start to see where the importance of these areas, again, being influenced and impacted by the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of heaven are incredibly important because they shape people's thinking. And you can get I don't know if you've ever been kind of caught up in a particular perspective that you're seeing in the media and you're completely convinced that this is accurate and true and everything that is being said is that thing. And then a couple of months later, all of a sudden, almost the opposite of that perspective starts to unravel and come out. People take little snippets of things and, and again, I don't want to start getting into, um, you know, uh, underground kind of movements and Illuminati's and all of these sorts of things. I'm not gonna talk about that sort of stuff. But to assume that people aren't strategically working together for an outcome that they desire, I think that's, I would consider for myself, foolishness. Because we've gotta understand that the enemy is absolutely this strategic, as I said before. And I think sometimes the church can be a little bit naive and thinking that, oh, maybe, but everyone's, surely they can't be that bad or can't be that malevolent, or, you know, like that where's that, you know, surely it's not, because I tend to think the best of people, normally, 
Like I think, and you start to love people and you start to believe in people. You know, part of having the heart of God in you is you start to look for people. It's like, I see the gold in you and I'm so for you and I'm believing for you and all this sort of stuff. Not recognizing that sometimes people have the alternate, you know, the opposite agenda of what you have. Is that they actually, and I'm saying sometimes intentionally, sometimes they're unaware, but they're wanting to actually tear things down. So we need to be, you know, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. We need to understand that there are strategies that are coming against God's purposes and plans, and we need to be operating with strategies to be a positive influence for God's kingdom and glory. Arts and entertainment, so this is you know, music, filmmaking, television, social media, performing arts, all of that sort of stuff. So again, this kind of shapes the cultural um, you know, kind of narrative in community. So again, another very important um, aspect. And you'll see how cultures kind of changed. What was very inappropriate to, um, to show in a movie you know, 20 years ago is now kind of mainstream and completely normal. You can't even rely upon the ratings that you might, you know, look at to say, oh, it's, oh, it's, you know, it's G, it must be okay. Um, but we have to, you know, go through. There's, a, there's actually a really cool site called Common Sense Media. If you're a parent of young children, and they do reviews of movies, but from a parent's perspective, I assume that they're a Christian um, based organization, but it'll have all the different kind of things and maybe scary parts, and people can comment on it. Because sometimes you do, like Finding Nemo. Yeah, it's about a fish that gets lost, but then you get like, these like scary kind of horror parts and, you know, maybe it was just me. Ah, uh, sensitive heart, you know. <laughs> but, you know, when you've got like little kids and like, and you, you know, you don't know those sorts of things. But there is, you know, there's um, oftentimes even in um, movies that are targeted for kids, there's all of this adult kind of humor and stuff woven into it. And so we've got to understand that as the culture changes, the influence into those areas starts to change as well. Uh, and finally, business. So these aren't in any particular order, um, but uh, so business is another incredibly important sphere of influence. So the ability to literally create wealth through ingenuity, enterprise, creativity, and effort is a God-given gift and a universal impulse. The markets and economic systems that emerge whenever people are free to pursue buying and selling become the lifeblood of a nation. This includes anything from farms to small businesses to large corporations. Now, again, this is a, a sphere uh, in the business realm. I've never been in business. I, I talk to people that are in business, but this is, again, a place where you have an incredible opportunity to not just create wealth, but to have influence, okay, and have an impact. And whether that's just through how you treat your staff, whether it's through, you know, uh, philanthropic kind of outworkings of things. I love seeing, um, so Luke and Rachel, and they have a gym called Transition, and uh, Luke, just on Friday, they did a fundraiser for Compassion, um, where they ran up and down a hill in Quinan. It's called Chalk Hill. It's pretty steep. It's not a mountain, but it's, it's steep, and they did up and down 2,020 times. I told my son, he's like, what? That's impossible. I'm like, no, they did it. So, but it was a whole heap of people from their gym, from the local community. They got involved, raised over $7,000 for, eight and a half, was it, in the end? Eight and a half thousand dollars for compassion, which is, an, it's compassion, you know, in, G, in Jesus' name or something like that. Like, it's a, it's a Christian missional organization that, uh, that cares for um, 
underprivileged children in other nations. And so we support a whole bunch of Compassion Kids. We got Steve coming back from Compassion on the 6th of December, I think, so to speak here. But incredible, it's a, it's a fully Christian organization, and yet people from the community came out and they partnered together, they rallied together to raise funds to be part of this thing to have an impact on children around the globe in different nations. But this is through a gym. Now, a gym, you would think, what's the primary purpose of a gym? Well, it's to get kind of people fit and motivated and all of those sorts of things. But so if you view something like that, if you view your business completely and only through the lens of what's the intent of the business on its own, then it might be to produce a product, provide a goods or services in that way. To come from a kingdom perspective is to say, now, obviously, I'm providing a, you know, goods and services, I'm providing a, a product for people, but there's a whole nother agenda that God has and he wants to influence through that business. It could be a small business. I know we've got lots of small business owners here, but there is strategic opportunities and um, opportunities for impact that God can have through all of those places. Now, you might be have a small business. I know um, Martin is a tiler. And he has men that work for him, men and women that work for him, and he has an opportunity to influence the culture of the business that he runs. He has the, inf- uh, the opportunity to influence every single client that he deals with. And that comes through not just how nicely he speaks to them, but that he doesn't, that he's um, integrous with what he charges, that he does an excellent job in everything that he does. You know, like all of those areas get to shape the influence of what you do. And it's incredibly important. It is a witness for the heart of God. Now, does it mean you have to be saying, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Brad from Jesus Tiling, and uh, I'm here to, you know, to tile your house in the glory of the Lord, you know? Like, it's, it, you don't have to be all, get all kind of weird about stuff and try, try to Christianize everything. I mean, you can put a Christian fish on your, on your car or your business if you really want to, but it's probably not going to necessarily bring about the kingdom of God. Um, probably only Christians will even understand what that means, and so maybe some of you don't even know what it means. But, uh, it's so, but what I'm saying is it's, it's through those cultural impacts that you start to shape the world around you. You start to build relationship and connection and friendship with people, and it can be really, really simple, really easy, and you're not having to go and do a whole lot of extra stuff. You're just being Jesus in whatever place that you're in. That's how easy it is. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it's because it's true. He's not saying, I'm not gonna weigh you down with all this weight and all this expectation, all of these pressures of what you gotta do. Just love me and love people and go out as you live your life, make disciples, invite others into that journey and relationship with me and release the reality of my kingdom. Now, I think ultimately we want people to respond to Jesus, but that's not the point of it necessarily, of bringing the kingdom. When we hear the, uh, read the parable of the sower and it talks about seed being scattered on the, on the path and on the rocky ground, on the you know, ground with the weeds and on the fertile soil. The principle of that parable is not to find fertile soil, it's to scatter seed. So you scatter seed, you scatter the good news of Jesus, you tell everybody that you know and you, you release the, the reality of the kingdom of God, that might be through signs and wonders and praying for someone. You've got a client who's unwell and you, get to, you ask, hey, can I pray for you now? And there's the radical dynamics of it or it might just be just giving them a discount or just being kind or being, you know, doing an excellent job. There's so many ways that we reflect the nature of God through what we do. But it doesn't have, so it doesn't have to be spectacular. It can be really, really, really normal. 
but it's through those ways that we start to see the kingdom of God infiltrate every sphere of what we're doing. It's how you love your neighbors, it's how you, uh, you just interact with the world. So again, the role of business, I think sometimes we, we have viewed um, the business realm from a church's perspective that kind of, oh, well, it's good that we've got people in business because they can raise money to fund the work of the church. Now, I think there's elements of that if there's corporate things, but I would say my perspective is more so that you would um, create influence that you can impact the world with the kingdom. So again, there might be things that we decide corporately as a church to do and we, and we pour into those things and we fund them because we say, as a body, we wanna, we wanna pour into this particular area. But not everything has to be organized and run by the church in terms of a corporate thing, like an event or a ministry or something like that. Wherever you are, you have opportunity for impact. Wherever you are and, and everywhere that you are, not just an opportunity, but I think a command from God to have an impact in that place. And you might, you might be thinking, again, because we can get shaped to think, okay, I've got to, got to how do I you know, bring the kingdom into my workplace? And I think we've, where historically, I think we've trained people up to do Christian activities. Um, and so then they take those Christian activities into their workplace and expect them to have the same sort of impact. So we train people to lead Bible studies or lead prayer groups or you know, different things like lead ministry type things. And then so someone will think, okay, I wanna, I wanna bring the kingdom to my workplace and I'll start up a, a lunchtime prayer meeting. And, uh, and then they might find that no one kind of shows up and no one's really interested in it. And, and I'm saying, if, if God tells you to do something like that, go and do it, absolutely. Because there might be just a strategy of God to, to do it in that way. But if that's kind of the tools that we've got in our toolbox, is just kind of the stock standard things that we've grown up understanding the church does and then we try and do that in the world, we're not gonna find the same sort of impact. I remember having a conversation with a guy and uh, he was talking about, you know, I've, I've tried doing this at my work and I've tried doing that at my work and, I, and I've tried all of these things and I said, have you ever invited one of your colleagues over for dinner? Invite him over for a barbecue. And it was like I could see his brain exploding. Like I dropped this revelation bomb like, what kind of crazy idea is this? But it's really sometimes that simple and normal. And you might be going, oh, of course, it's that simple. But sometimes we think in that way, so I've got to, okay, I've got to look for sick people at work and I'll pray for them. Or, you know, I've got to, you know, I'll, I'll pray that some, um, you know, mist of the glory cloud would come and appear in my workplace or something. You know, it's like, we just be normal and invite someone into your world and start to, to love on them. Like if you're a, a man, you can start to be like a father and speak words of encouragement, speak words of life. When people are in hard seasons, minister and reach out and connect and invite them into your home and just do normal life with kingdom intentionality. So you, you don't have to do a whole lot more. And you'll find that in this community, we are intentionally, we intentionally try not to burden people with lots of activities in the church. Now, there are things that God has us doing corporately that we're all invited to participate in, okay? But it's not meant to take you out of what you're doing wherever God has you. So if you're a teacher at a school, you're working a business, you might be a stay-at-home mom, wherever you are, the, the role, we're not trying to draw people out. We're wanting to equip and release people into those places. So I might be raising your kids. My wife, Lisa, that's what she does. We homeschool our kids. When I say we, I'm in agreement, she does it. Um, but uh, but that's, that's her primary outworking of ministry. 
and she was you know, part of leadership for a time, but we got to a point where that's where she feels to invest her time and her energy. She's not here today because she's babysitting our dog, which hasn't been vaccinated because I can't be left alone and because we don't want to wing all over the house. But anyway, that's a side point. Gets vaccinated on Monday, so the dog will be free. Hooray. Um, but uh, so she's just, she's just ministering to the dog. And um, <coughs> uh, a side, side note, so you should know where she is. Um, but uh, but that's, her, that's her primary place of influence. So we've got this three young lives in our family that my wife is saying, I'm gonna pour into them and raise them to impact whatever sphere of influence they find themselves in. And again, when we look at these different mountains, the goal isn't to reach the summit of the mountain. Okay? The goal is to impact wherever you are. You might be at the bottom of the mountain. You might, be, you might come into a workplace and you're like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm the bottom rung of the ladder and, uh, and you might have the desire to move your way up. It doesn't matter where you are. It's not about the size of your influence. It's about maximizing the influence that God has given you. So you might say, I have, I have no ability to impact you know, the dominant culture of the business that I work for, but I've got two work colleagues and I'm building a relationship and building favor there, and I'm, I'm loving them and serving them, and, and get, doors are opening for me to share the gospel of Jesus with them or to invite them into my family and to love on them, to journey with them through hard seasons. That might, that's the sphere of influence that God's given me. It doesn't matter, how, it's not about how big it is, it's about how well are you stewarding the influence that you have and understanding the authority that you have in that place. Because I think sometimes we go, well, I could never change the world because I'm not, you know, the head of, I'm not the prime minister, so what am I gonna do, do to change the nation? But I think that thinking is what has led our nation of Australia to lose uh, values that would reflect the kingdom of God. Because we've thought about from a political power perspective rather than the sphere of influence that I have. I, love, I know there's an ad by Ikea where it talks about changing light bulbs out. And they look, if you change one light bulb, you know, what difference is gonna make you making one little change? But if lots of people make a little change, then it starts to have a big impact. That is the way that the church is supposed to, it's designed by Jesus to work in culture. It's not all about who's at the, in the most powerful position, it's about who is utilizing their power properly. Okay, you might have a small amount of power, but unless you're maximizing that power, it's not gonna have an impact. You might have a small amount of influence, but if you're not maximizing that small influence, it's not gonna have an impact. So again, it doesn't matter where you are. You might be the owner of a, of a business, and you, say, well, then you have a whole different sort of strategy as to how you might impact that place. And it's obviously gonna be more complicated, and you can bring in others to help you in that process but it doesn't matter where you are. And again, just because you're a Christian, I mean, we've got a Christian prime minister at the moment. Is our, is our nation Christian? I'm not even sure that's the point, but is it? Well, no, it's not, because it's only the summit that's shifted. Now, does that open the door for a different type of influence in politics and government? Yes, it does. Is it a, would I rather have a Christian prime minister than a non-Christian prime minister? Absolutely. But does that mean that my role isn't important in shaping this nation? No, not at all. I still have the same role as to what I'm doing now. 
I think about, you know, when it comes to like end times and the end of the earth, and some people think, you know, oh yeah, things are getting worse and things are getting bad and everything's you know, getting dark and there's wars and rumors of wars and there's, you know, there's biblical stuff. But for me, it doesn't change what I do. Because I'm not looking at the end of the world and go, oh, it's getting bad, what should I do? And should I, you know, hide in my bunker? I'm like, well, I'm just gonna do the same things that I've always done, which is what Jesus told me to do. You know, so love people and love him and make disciples, bring the kingdom and heal the sick and all of that sort of stuff. It's just, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing regardless of what's happening out there. All right. So bringing the kingdom of God into each of these mountains, how does the kingdom of God come? Well, we need to look at what Jesus spoke of, the influence of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of heaven comes like leaven. It rhymes there, so you can remember it. The kingdom of heaven comes like leaven. So Jesus speaks about the leaven of the kingdom. Now, what is leaven? Yeast, essentially. So it's what is put into dough that causes the dough to rise and expand, okay? But once you mix it into the dough, the yeast is consumed into the dough itself. So when you have a full loaf of bread, you can't go back into that loaf of bread and start picking out the yeast, okay? Now, Jesus, when Jesus speaks of leaven, he speaks about three different types of leaven, okay, when he's, when he's speaking of the kingdom. And there's actually a warning that he gives in Mark 8, verses 14 to 21, where he speaks of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Starting verse 14, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? So he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now the Pharisees representing the religious order and Herod representing the political order. So what Jesus is saying, beware as followers of me that you don't get influenced by the leaven that represents the, that religious perspective or the leaven that represents the political perspective. So again, he's already saying it's starting to creep into your thinking because you are thinking from an earthly perspective of the fact that you have five loaves, but do not understand that from a kingdom perspective is the way that I've already demonstrated to you, I only need five loaves to feed 5,000 people. So that's a heavenly perspective, that's a kingdom perspective, and yet they've started to sway into other perspectives. They've been influenced by those things. So the church is always open to being impacted and influenced by either the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod. So again, I think when Jesus speaks, he's talking about worldviews that are represented like leaven. So the leaven of the Pharisees represents the religious worldview or what we might say a religious spirit. So the religious spirit seeks to control and maintain the power position through rules and regulations. So this is what we've found historically in Western culture with the, uh, well, which was the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, but the church was the center. It was a, had a power position in society for many, many, many hundreds and hundreds of years. I would say from the time of Constantine. Okay, so before Constantine, this is in the, around the year 300 A.D., the church had no centralized 
kind of power system. It was very dispersed. It was highly missional, and it had a radical impact on culture. Radical impact on it was persecuted. It's just the whole Colosseum, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Christians getting killed and murdered. It was had no political power. It didn't even have a religious place of power in society. And yet, there's different estimates, but literally, it went from you know the 12 disciples to millions of people across Rome in different areas. Okay, and all just through underground kind of apostolic movement. All of a sudden, Constantine comes in and he puts Christians in a place of political and religious power where he calls it, this is, this is now, the, the religion of Rome is now Christianity, okay? Which you would think, like, now we've been working for so long and finally we've got this position of power and influence, like we are now the, you know, the national religion of a place. And for me, I think that was one of the worst things that could have happened for Christianity, because what it did is it took it out of the realm of reliance upon Jesus for influence, reliance upon the Holy Spirit, reliance upon and intentionality to bring about the kingdom of God, because they're all of a sudden they're in this political position. So, well, I, we don't, we're in the power position now. We can just tell people what to do. But for me, I think, I think that's, that's like the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. It, it breaks reliance. It broke down the missional movement of the church. It broke down the church being a place of serving and loving, particularly the broken. So the leaven of Herod represents a political worldview or a political spirit. The political spirit seeks to control and maintain the power position through conquest and oppression. And so again, we even see this in the history of the church, where we've seen the church then start to, to dominate and rule um, through Conquest through literally killing people that would oppose them. It's part of the church's history. It's a reason or an excuse that people use to not be favorable towards Christianity because what happened in the church to, to kind of dominate and control. So again, influenced by that political spirit. So again, this is always an opportunity where we can sit back and go, hey, we should be having a voice in politics and why, don't, why isn't anyone asking us? And, and we get all kind of worked up about the fact that decisions are being made and cultures being shaped in a way that we don't like as Christians. So the issue is I think we have drawn back from influence because we haven't been the leaven and we've just waited to get back into that place of power. And your culture's like, no church, you don't have any influence. You don't have any power. You're not the pinnacle. You're not the center of society. I mean, a lot of towns, you, you think back a few generations, there was always a church at the center of a town. Literally, I mean, like in the UK, they literally built towns around the church. That was the central place. It was the place that then everyone had equal access to. Not anymore. So we've lost that power position that we once had. Not that it was necessarily good that we had it, but we, we had it. And now we're finding ourselves in this place that, man, we don't, we don't have that cultural sway anymore. What happens at a, oftentimes at a, at a governmental level in politics where, where we are faced with values in politics that would oppose Christian values, the fact that we've gotten to that place where even the conversation is happening is because we haven't done our job by being the leaven of the kingdom, shaping the values of society. So the fact that someone would even raise the idea of you know, abortion at birth, essentially up until the time of birth, 
that that would be even comprehensible, that you would think about something like that, that you would be, as a, for me as a Christian, I think that's at any time, let alone that time. But the fact that that would be even a conversation in culture is because we haven't fought and represented the king and his kingdom in every conversation, in every sphere of influence that we're in, in every level of every one of these mountains. We haven't been shaping culture. We've left it to those in power to try and shape culture when Jesus actually outlines, no, it's our role, all of our role to be shaping culture. And this is where Jesus speaks of the leaven of the kingdom. Matthew 13, 33. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was leavened. So the leaven of the kingdom comes in secret, in secret and in service and it's immersive. It doesn't seek dominion through control or oppressive force, but through meekness, humility, service, and love. I think because we were given a power position and then that's been stripped away over generations, we've actually lost the true meaning of what it is to be a kingdom people. The dominant paradigm can be that we think we should be in the power position in society. Jesus was very clear that the conquest of the kingdom would not come how people expected. Even his own disciples expected a militant overthrow of earthly governmental structures in order to usher in the kingdom, but that's not how God planned it. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, it's in the midst of us in that it is in us, the kingdom of God, the spirit of God is in us. It's in the midst of us that it's all around us. But Jesus is saying, it's not gonna come like you expect. It's not gonna come with this military conquest. It is like leaven that you just, that just infiltrates and is immersive into every aspect of society. And what that means is you can't pick it out. You can't remove it. All of a sudden, people, and if, if you, I think if we really genuinely, if the churches of God in every nation took this seriously, and I'm not saying this is, I'm, I'm not trying to say this is my idea. I'm, I'm saying I think this is what Jesus is calling us to, and it's how the church grew, just person to person, one disciple to the next, but that we would actually see culture change then in, in several generations that look back and go, wow, the cultures of the nations look like the kingdom of God. They're representing the values of Jesus and the values of heaven. How did that happen? It wasn't because one person rose up and then had a military coup and took over every country. It's because every country started being impacted by the leaven of the kingdom that was brought about by every believer just taking responsibility for their sphere of influence and releasing the reality of God into those places. And now, so I'm talking about through, through character, through normality of life and through signs and wonders, every aspect, and one disciple making another disciple who makes another disciple of Jesus. That's the way that the kingdom is supposed to grow. That's the way that the kingdom is going to come to our society. I like this to, to think that the kingdom is like a ninja. You don't see it before it's too late. You know, there are movements in current history, negative ones, something like Al-Qaeda. So if I was to ask you the question, who is the leader of Al-Qaeda? Does anyone know? 
but who is now? Does it still exist? Where, where does it exist? Where's their headquarters, though? Like, everyone, I want to give them a call. Say, hey, where are you? Yeah. Well, how do you wipe it out? You can take out a leader. Another one's going to rise up. I think one of the most effective missional movements of recent history is Al-Qaeda. Again, ISIS, different version. That was more military conquest. Gets wiped out because they did it in a different way. And yet Al-Qaeda, all of a sudden, it's in every nation, people everywhere because it's based around an ideology and it's infiltrated, it's underground and flows through. So the church is being less effective than these groups because we've taken on the wrong method of bringing about the influence of heaven on the earth. That is Jesus' desire, it's the Lord's prayer. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's not, it's not gonna come because we have massive churches. Because we can have, if we had 10,000 people in this church community, doesn't mean that we're gonna have any sort of impact on society. We might have the impact on 10,000 people. But that's 10,000 out of millions. Is that gonna shape a culture? They've done studies in, in America in particular with the rise of the megachurch kind of movement in the last few generations, and they've seen the impact on culture decline as the megachurch has increased. Now, am I saying, is it bad that there's churches filled with thousands of people? Not at all. That's awesome. That's amazing. People are meeting Jesus. It's all good, and yet they're not necessarily entering into discipleship with him as I've spoken a few weeks ago, we get my ticket to heaven, I go along on a Sunday and I do my thing and then I just go about my life trying to be a good person. Rather than understand the strategy of heaven that Jesus established was to bring his kingdom like leaven into every sphere of society. And when we start to see that happen, when we start to see disciples activated in that missional movement, we're gonna start to see that change at every level of society. That the religious sphere starts to change, arts and entertainment, starts to change. And it's not because then Chosen is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week on every single channel. You know, you all seen the Chosen, the, the you know, Jesus film stuff. It's, it's not that, see that's, but we might think that. Oh yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna get the Jesus film, we're gonna get the Passion of the Christ on all the time or something like that. No, 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 it's, it's the values of heaven woven into every program. You know, sometimes you'll watch and you'll see a TV program. I mean, even like a cartoon like Bluey. Anyone watch Bluey? I don't watch it all the time, but yeah, Brett does, see? <laughs> Parents are the little ones. But there's something that's like, wow, there's just these kind of family values, and it's very subtle. And I'm not saying that, that Bluey's, you know, written by Christians or anything like that, but you start to see, like, how they start to prioritize different values of things. And yet, at the same time, there'd be programs that are trying to devalue those same things. So the role of our gathering times, the role of uh, myself and others as leaders is to equip you to live as a missionary, to live as a mountain missionary. You're, you are a mountain missionary. Amen? Say, I am a mountain missionary, if you believe it. Don't just say it because I've said it. But, uh. And again, this is not, we're not trying to Christianize society. We're not trying to just make everything Christian. We're trying to see the leaven of the kingdom come. So I'm not saying change the name of your business to, you know, Martin's Christian Tiling Company or something like that. You know, like, we, but we, we kind of do that as the church. We create, like, Christian sports. You know, we have a Christian sports thing rather than releasing Christians into the sporting arena. 
to bring change. Don't talk about sport, Brad. Just getting touchy. It's important to understand that each of you has far more sway and far more influence than the corporate church will ever have. In our modern today's society, most people aren't interested in anything that the church has to say. If the media wants a perspective on the church, they'll go to the same dude with the big pointy hat who doesn't represent me or my perspective, but that's what they understand. Oh yeah, cool, we'll go to this guy and ask his opinion. And, and not that they, it's generally about something bad. Not because they, hey, we would like to know your opinion so you can influence our culture. It's like, oh, what, we know you've got some whacked out perspective on something, so we'll ask you, which will only continue on the stereotype of what religion represents in our nation. We need to see the shift happen. And part of the shift that is beginning to take place in the church is learning to rightly equip, empower, and release people into the world to make disciples and bring the kingdom in a way that's incarnational and immersive like leaven. It doesn't have to be seen, doesn't have to be paraded. You don't need a, 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 to wear a hat. You don't, need to, you, know, you don't need to announce yourself. I'm here. I've arrived for my first day of work. The kingdom of God is among you. Come one, come all, and hear about Jesus, you know? Like you don't need to stand on the street corner to evangelize. Just to start to love on the people that you work with or that your neighbors, like your literal neighbors. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Oh, I've got to go and find. No, you probably live next door to some people who don't know Jesus. But are you intentionally thinking about, I could love these people. How am I going to invite them into my world and, and be present in theirs? It's really simple. It's really easy. And I think we've complicated, we've made it so uh, intense as to how to do this, but it really is that simple. How can I father and mother people in my workplace? How can I love them, serve them? All right. So what does it look like practically? It's about gaining favor and releasing flavor. You know, thank you. Uh, <laughs> gaining favor with people is really important. Jesus did it. We read in, in the book of uh, Luke early on where he grew in uh, wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Grace, it's the word grace, but we, we open up doors. So your character matters. If you carry the name of Jesus and you're not representing his nature, then people aren't going to know Jesus through you. There's gonna be a conflict and it's not gonna build favor. If you're like, I'm a, if people know you're a Christian and yet you're lazy at work, that's gonna impact their perspective of Jesus because you are a representative of Christ. If you're dodgy in your dealings, anything like that, you, you're, you're revealing Jesus and yet you're revealing a part that says, yeah, you're, you're a bit of a hypocrite like society thinks you are. So our character matters to build favor, but it also matters that we're releasing the flavor of heaven, the way that we love and serve and all of that sort of stuff. You've got to know your sphere of influence and the authority that you carry in that place. So if you think it's like, well, yeah, people, people come to me and I have favor, maybe from a skills perspective, strategically, or you've been in a, in a business sphere for a, for a long time or in a, in a workplace, that you have a, a position of authority to influence people. So utilize that for God's glory. 
Now, again, if you're in, in a, I know in, uh, in government schools, you've got to be, I don't say careful about it, but you've got to be respectful of people's perspectives. They say, well, you can't talk about Christianity unless you talk about all religions, and, um, you know, which you could do, I guess. But, you know, you've got to be aware that, hey, we're going to honor those who we are, you know, working under, but still carrying the, the culture of heaven without everything having to have the Christian label on it. Now, we don't want to be so just about culture of heaven that we never talk about Jesus, because then we get lost in just simply serving and not actually having an impact for the kingdom. Pray to God for strategies. Ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me creative strategies as to how I can impact those around me. God is infinitely creative, but don't assume that, oh, I've got to do that, I don't want to do that. I'm not that person. I'm not an evangelist. Has God called you to evangelize? Yes, he has. But maybe it's not in the way that someone else would do it or stereotypically what you think it should be. And again, I think we need to look at and understand that there is an air war and there is a ground war. What we'll be praying into today is we're gonna be praying about the air war, which is the, I think I've got some, some slides on that. I'll read first from Apostle from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we've got to understand that there are, as Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, there are principalities and powers, there are territorial, there's, there's spiritual dimensions that impact nations, okay? So there are these things that are happening and, and those, so there's a whole spiritual dimension that is impacting people's lives, okay? So for us just to go in with the ground war, person to person, sharing the gospel, loving, serving, or whatever, we need to understand that those people can be oppressed by supernatural heavenly realities, the bad kind, okay? I don't have time to go into all of that sort of stuff, but we, this is stuff. So the air war is worship, prayer, and intercession, and this is against principalities, rulers, territorial spirits, all of that sort of stuff, okay? I can do a whole other sermon on those things. I'm not gonna go into it now, but to understand that strategically, the kingdom of darkness is set up over every nation, every region, and it will oppose the movement of God. So this is why Paul is saying, Number one, he's saying we're waging war, but it's not against the flesh. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in the heavenly places, okay? That's where the battle is. So we need to have know that strategically there is an air war, that we need to be praying, interceding, worshiping, and dealing with those things. So that's why we have a daily prayer room. That's why sometimes when we corporately worship, God will direct us to deal with something specifically, Okay? It doesn't mean it's shooting guns and yelling and screaming. It can be releasing the peace of God, love, whatever it is, but it's his strategy to do that, okay? And then we have the ground war, which is love, service, signs and wonders, discipleship, all of those practical things that we know, loving and serving people, okay? This is individuals, families, communities. This is where we disciple nations, but we can't just disciple the nation in the practical and not deal with the spiritual, okay? Because you've got to like clear the airways in order to come through. I, I, if I use the, you know, like a, that military strategy, you've actually got to um, clear out the, the kind of the high level influence in order that you can release the ground troops. Otherwise, when the ground troops come in, they get wiped out. 
I've literally, this is probably a year ago, having a conversation with a, a guy who was pastoring a church in Fremantle. And, uh, and they had just recently moved out of the center of Fremantle to a, a suburb, a couple of suburbs away. And uh, he said, yeah, I was just sharing with him, and he said, man, it was just really, really tough and things, and it just, it was just got too heavy. And he says to me, he's like, have, have you ever heard of the, um, the, um, the, the serpent, what, what do we call it, the python spirit? I'm like, yeah. And is it so, like, I know this might get freaky for some of you. Um, we've done a lot of warfare against this python spirit. It's a spirit of divination. It's found in the Bible. The Apostle Paul confronts it. Again, don't have time to go into all that. Um, but we've, we've kind of dealt with some of that stuff. And they came up against this thing in the spirit, and they, didn't, they hadn't been trained and equipped in strategies to how to deal with it. We just have happened to have the, some people come in to help us with all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and it got to the point where they couldn't continue on their ministry in the center of Fremantle because that territorial spirit drove them out and opposed them so strongly. So I'm talking, this, is, this might be freaky stuff for you. I'm okay with it being freaky. It's freaky for me. But it's real and it happens, okay? And so, again, we need to be dealing with both of those levels uh, in that process of influencing the kingdom, yeah? Amen, amen, amen. So shaping things spiritually, but also shaping things culturally. Um, you know, Jesus talks about binding and loosing. I think I've got that scripture. The next one. Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as has probably been told to you many times, the gates of hell will not be able to stop the movement of the church, the ecclesia, the governing body of Christ. Amen? All right. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So even these principles that we're understanding, we're, we're dealing with things in the heavenlies that are going to release things in the natural, and we're dealing with things in the natural that are going to impact things in the heavenly realm. We've got to have both of those things going on. Okay? We do a whole lot of air war and don't do anything on the ground. If we're not out there every day in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, um, bringing the ground war, then we don't take ground there either. But again, to understand, we, we're not there trying to dominate people, trying to squash people, trying to kick people out. We're trying to love people, invite them into relationship with Jesus. This is love. If you don't have love in your heart, don't engage in warfare on behalf of Jesus because you will screw it up. 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, you'll be a, a clanging cymbal and a, and a gong and all that sort of stuff. You're just gonna be making noise. So we need to understand, we're motivated by love, okay? Love for people and love for God that we wanna see his kingdom come. But the strategies for doing so, we need to have a different strategy. Even what has worked in the past won't work in this generation, okay? So we need to be activating that and it's about utilizing the creativity of the Holy Spirit in order to do that. Amen? I'm sorry I spoke, I know I've, can you imagine how long I would have spoken for if I spoke slowly? <laughs> I'm not gonna do this every time we do this, but it was just important, I think, just to shape the intentionality of what we're going to be praying into even today. And we're, as we pray into all of the other mountains, it's so important that we understand, ah, this is significant what we're doing, okay? And it's a strategy of God. I'm not saying what we're doing, but it is God's intention to, to bless and influence all of these areas. So, amen, bless you. Here's Amy.